strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, you heard in the newscast, we broke it here. Mitch McConnell will step down as Senate Republican leader in November. I want you to hear a little bit of what the senator had to say, and we're going to discuss this. And the way he said it, some of these things uh, make a lot of sense. So here's the senator talking about he knew this day was going to come. I've been thinking about when I would deliver some news to the Senate. I always imagined a moment when I had total clarity and peace about the sunset of my work. A moment when I'm certain I have helped preserve the ideals I so strongly believed. That day arrived today. So he talks about it being a new season. He understands it's a time for this change. But now it's 2024. I'm now 82. As Ecclesiastes tells us, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. To serve Kentucky in the Senate has been the honor of my life. To lead my Republican colleagues has been the highest privilege. So then let me jump to him talking about next. What's next? But Father Time remains undefeated. I'm no longer the young man sitting in the back hoping colleagues would remember my name. It's time for the next generation of leadership. So I do want to get into my opinions on who it might be that becomes the Republican leader in the Senate. Uh, And I'll get to that in a minute. But this is something that we've talked quite a bit about. Uh, I was just having this conversation with someone um, just recently about what's happened. The concerns about and I'm going to tell you what this other person said and I'm not going to. But we were just talking. This is someone that I know that is the most a political person pays no attention to politics whatsoever, um, not at all. <clears throat> and they were commenting on how the president of the United States is running for re-election. And in their opinion, they thought it was a horrible thing that the people around him are allowing him to run for another term when it seems as if he shouldn't be doing that. Not my opinion. I didn't say it. That's, what, that's how the conversation, this other person said it. That he is exhibiting signs that it's too much for him, that at his age, he shouldn't be running for president. It is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365 this year, 366-day-a-year job. And so it is a difficult task for anyone. So that was the start of the conversation. It had nothing to do with policy. It had nothing to do with Republican, Democrat. It was a human being that said, why are the people around him allowing him to run again? And so I talked about Dianne Feinstein, the late senator, who was at the end of her life and in the Senate. But at the time, she was still doing the job in the United States Senate. She was being told by colleagues in committee meetings how to vote because she didn't he couldn't hear and wasn't sure where she was at times, or at least it appeared that way, that um, she was asked by reporters that why she wasn't going to run for reelection. She didn't even remember that her campaign, her people had stated she wouldn't run for reelection. Senator McConnell, with all due respect to him, uh, the, the the number of times that he has frozen up in front of the cameras, he's acknowledging that it's time for a next generation. Are we prepared for that next generation? Now, there are people that are prepared, I think, to step into leadership. But are we, and I would say this with all respect to anybody involved in politics, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, it is the one area more than most where people 
for whatever reason, so desperately want to be elected to an office that they're willing to do anything to hang on to it and hang on to it for as long as they can. And we as voters don't seem to say because we have, especially in a House race, where they are in a small district, and if you're politically inclined, you get to know them. And there are members of Congress that I've gotten to know that I'm, I will tell you, that I'm friends with. Um, and you respect them and you like them, and so you vote for them. And even when they're past their prime, where it isn't the world of success, which is, what have you done for me lately, as harsh as that is to say, um, if you take a look at Coach Belichick, Bill Belichick, if you're a football fan, is probably going to go down in history as the greatest NFL coach ever, ever. He doesn't have a job right now. Last few seasons have not been good. He went, they went their separate ways. He went his separate way from the, the Patriots, and um, it was handled respectfully. But that's a league that is elite. That league is elite in revenue and in popularity around the world because the expectation is you must win. And if you're not going to be winning on the field, you're going to have a narrow window for success. And if you're not successful, it doesn't matter how much we like you. Bruce Arians retired, and he was an immensely popular coach with the Arizona Cardinals, and he retired. They loved him. But if he wasn't successful with the Cardinals, he wouldn't have lasted either. You know, we had Ken Wisenhunt who took the Cardinals to a Super Bowl. They fired him a few years later. So my point is when you're in a successful place, results matter more than anything else. And that hasn't been the way in American politics. And I think what that's led to is this. We have too many people that hang around for far too long that do the job way past their prime or way past their time frame of success. And we continue to not foster the next generation. One of the things I love about working in this building, now the business that I'm in right now is a business that's kind of, I would say, not cutthroat's the wrong word because it sounds like everybody's stabbing you in the back, but it isn't. It's very competitive. And so it's difficult because you can be worried that the next person that I train or somebody that I help or I mentor, they may take my job and what's going to happen here. And that's that happens sometimes. But I work in a building where they are always bringing in fresh blood, that there are young people coming in, interns that are coming in from Cronkite and the best and the brightest that want to be in broadcasting or want to be in journalism or sports. They are chosen to come in and work part time and full time. And they go on to do great things because of the mentoring that this company provides. And it's not a situation where people, at least from my experience, where people are afraid that if they bring somebody new on board that's really talented as a young person, that they're training the person that they're going to get fired for. It really is kind of a shared experience where let me show you what somebody showed me. It's why I love the trades. In the trades, it is that way. The journeyman on a job site trains the apprentices. The foreman on a job site is training the journeyman. The project managers are overseeing everything, and they usually have come from the field, and they understand what it's like to be on the job sites. It's one of the reasons why I love the trades. In American politics, we don't do this. In American politics, you fight like crazy to get a job by getting elected to a job, and then you say and do whatever you have to do to keep that job, and you're not going to train anybody else that's possibly going to replace you. And I think it's to our detriment. 
And I will let me get on to for just a minute. I think you're going to see people. I would be surprised if it's not Ted Cruz. I would think it would be Ted Cruz that would be the next Senate Majority Leader. Um, I just think that because of his, you know, he almost won the nomination in 2020 for president. Um, he, I don't need, think that there's many people that know the Senate better than he does. Now there could be others. I, there are going to be others on that list. My guess is Ted Cruz. There are some capable members of the Senate that are a generation younger that are able to be in leadership. Marco Rubio could do it. Um, uh, Senator Lee from Utah. There are some out there that could that may have a shot at it. But who are we bringing up? And I don't know if you pay attention to this or not, but if you look around just in Arizona, um, I have had the privilege of speaking with a lot of younger groups of kids that are at young ages politically motivated and politically interested. They call them the YRs, which are the young Republicans, TARs, the teenage Republicans, high school, college Republicans, that there are groups of people. And I'm, I, I know for a fact it's exactly the same way in the other party where there are young people that are interested. Now, I don't know for sure, but I don't know how they are being trained to do something down the road. There are many people that were in the young Republicans, college Republicans that went on to political office. That's the truth. But are, do we have a pipeline where they're being shown how to do these things? Um there is, I, I've mentioned them before, there is for women, if you are someone that was interested in campaigning or you're interested in politics on any level, if you want to run a campaign, if you want to be an, an elected official, there's a training program called the Doty London Training Program. And it is fantastic. It is comprehensive and it's a fantastic training program. And they do this so that there, if there are women interested in getting into the political arena, they can take the Doty London training and learn a lot more about it. That's the kind of thing I'm talking talking about. We don't have enough of those opportunities for the people that are interested to go and learn from somebody. And we've got to do a better job of it. Um, so Senator McConnell, I'm glad he had the courage to stand up and say it's time for me to go. I think he served the way, you know, honorably in the way he served. And I think he's stepping down honorably. And I'm anxious to see who replaces him. Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day in a segment we call Did You Hear This? So hang around for it. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's catch you up on the busy news day we've had. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. The state of Michigan held its presidential primary election Tuesday, and to no surprise, former President Donald Trump and President Joe Biden each carried their respective races by a large margin. ABC's Mary Bruce explains why Trump's margin of victory in the Great Lakes state could be worrisome for Republicans. There are warning signs here for Donald Trump as well. While he easily cruised to victory over Nikki Haley and is almost assured the Republican nomination, some 30 percent of Republican primary voters here last night backed someone other than Donald Trump, meaning there are plenty of voters in this critical state who are not yet sold on the former president. Will uncommitted GOP voters turn back to Trump in the general election? I don't think so. I think that now more than ever in 2020, we did see a number of Republicans in a protest vote because of the way it was handled and the things that were said about John McCain and, and rhino Republicans. There was a bigger division in the Republican Party. And some of those Republicans saw Joe Biden as an option for president, even though they weren't the, wasn't their first choice, as an option other than Donald Trump. 
from a Republican perspective, the performance of this president when it comes to the border and the economy, the Republicans are looking at this and they no longer see Joe Biden as a viable option. That means if these are the two candidates, Republicans are still going to vote for Donald Trump. Democrats are still going to vote for Joe Biden. It's the independence they have to capture. He's got the Republican vote, and I think that they will rally around him if he becomes and when he becomes the candidate. The president's son, Hunter Biden, is on Capitol Hill today for a deposition with House Republicans who are trying to link Hunter's overseas business dealings with his father. But Democrats in Congress, like Maryland Representative Jamie Raskin, see the deposition as a waste of time. Pleadings filed by uh, David Weiss now give a very strong whiff of a Russian intelligence operation. Um, and so I think that our colleagues uh, would do best at this point to fold up the circus tent and allow us to focus on something that would actually be of benefit to the American people. If the deposition reveals damning details about Hunter and the president, could the Biden family dynamics further hurt the reelect campaign? Yeah, I think this is a big issue, and, and I want to address this. Take a big, deep breath here, and I'm not going to waste a lot of time on it. We spent four years with uh, the Russian collusion accusation in the House, four years investigating Donald Trump, and now we've got that same group of people saying this is a waste of time. I think that's a silly accusation, not to mention the fact that one of the things that angered voters, not Republicans, voters, voters, was they were told that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation or misinformation when we found out later that it really was something real. And many voters said that would have swayed their vote. In that regard, no one is going to back off and say that they should investigate Hunter Biden. But I think you're right. If the indictments come, if it is found out that there are some things that have been done wrong, it can negatively affect the Biden chance for re-election because they're going to go after the Trump legal troubles and they should. They're going to go after the Trump legal troubles. If they've got legal troubles of their own, it waters or it muddies the water in that accusation. And I think that's where it could hurt them. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 1120 to catch you up on the big news stories. The Arizona Republic reported on an alleged cover-up of the Preston Lord attack in an interview with Ashley Reynolds, who says she was an unwilling participant in a plan to protect her boss, Travis Renner, and his 17-year-old son. I was torn up inside that, for one, I didn't even get an opportunity to choose whether I wanted to be involved in this. I was just expected to be involved in this, and it hurt me a lot. Um, we had employees coming to me, asking me. It was very traumatizing knowing that somebody had passed away at the hands of what do you make of this alleged cover-up? Well, I, right now, it's just an accusation. There is a difference between what you know and what you can prove, and every detective will tell you that. If the police have this information and they can prove that there was a cover-up, you're going to see more than a person being arrested for this. They will be arrested for the conspiracy to cover it up. That's also a crime. Now, there is a fine line. Many people can imagine making sure you protect your child if your child is in trouble. But people see that line being crossed when Someone gets killed or when there's an overt act. So in the court of public opinion, this is obviously horrible. But how does it translate into justice in the court system for Preston Lord's family? That remains to be seen. Is this just going to be a salacious accusation that can't be proven? Or are we going to see parents go to court and the other people that help cover it up, cover it up? If that's the case, this is going to get a lot bigger. 
Maricopa County Interim Sheriff Russ Skinner joined the show to talk about party affiliation and the job of sheriff in the county in light of the DOJ oversight. I'm here to tell you I'm not one that, uh, you know, R, D, it does not matter to me. I'm here to deliver the services to the community, and hopefully people are looking at who's best to run this agency, who has experience, who has qualities that can make fair decisions and show um, the leadership as opposed to why is everybody focusing on, you know, political party affiliation. Should sheriffs be apolitical like judges? Yeah, I think they should. Now, whether or not we could have a nonpartisan sheriff election, I don't know if that's even possible, but I do think it's a nonpartisan office. And I think that because the requirement is this, if you elect a Democrat to the office of sheriff and he leaves the office before his term is over, he or she, you have got to replace that person with another Democrat of the same political party. That's why he says, I made the shift. I didn't change anything else about it. It's apolitical. It was a formality for me. And I believe him. I believe he just wanted to be eligible for the position, which it made him eligible for the position. He is now in that position. We'll see if the voters vote him in in November. Great job, Greg. You did it. That was that was another good job. Thank you. I appreciate it. Very solid. All right. In a moment, we're going to talk about immigration. We're going to talk about immigration numbers. We've got to talk about where the best place to start a business is. We're going to get to those things. Why is immigration the number one issue for Americans? A poll, a Gallup poll shows that it is. We'll get the details next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Um, happy Wednesday. It is Wednesday, correct? Okay, thank you. Uh, just making sure, because I was wrong yesterday. I thought yesterday was Thursday, so I just had to double check. Um, appreciate it uh, that you spent some time with us. Let's talk about the immigration issue. The president of the United States and the former president are both going to the border tomorrow, and it's going to be two different visits. And uh, both are going to blame the other for the condition at the border. The issue has become the number one issue for Americans. I'm going to take a different road with this, uh, one I've talked, I've taken before, but different than I did the last time I talked about this at 10 o'clock. And here's why. Um, the American people are good people. We are benevolent people. We are people that want the best for everyone in the world. I think it's great human nature and who we are. We're accepting of other cultures. Bring your culture to America. Assimilation here does not mean you get in lockstep with who we are. It means bring your culture, but wave our flag and make it your flag. Um, the stories that we should be telling, and I've told a number of these before, and I'm going to do this in reverse order. What I mean by that is I'm going to tell you what we should be doing instead of what we are doing on the issue of immigration. Um, I, my friends here, I, I've talked often when I bring this up, I can, I think of three big stories and one of them is my friend Ariel. I've talked about him before, the barber to the stars. He's in Scottsdale. He's a great barber uh, from Russia. And the best times I had sitting in his chair, we don't talk about politics, but I wanted to learn about living in Russia. And he would tell me what it was like living there and coming here to be an American and how he could have come earlier or left Russia earlier and gone to another country. But they waited to come to America. 
He's a proud American. Um, I don't know about his politics. I really don't know about his politics, but I know he has a wife and he's got children and he's raising an American family and he's living the American dream. He has changed the, the trajectory of his family because his children are being raised in America and have an opportunity that he didn't have in childhood. And he sees it that way. And that's the way he expresses it. My friend Michael, who owns two very successful restaurants here in town in a catering business, uh, coming here from a communist country and working his way up in the restaurant industry from starting out as a busboy or in the ground floor, whatever it was, dishwasher, busboy, but working his way up into management and then partial ownership and partnership and then buying out his partners and ownership in these businesses and how he um, – he shares his wealth, and I don't know that he's super wealthy, but he shares what he has with his church, and he's a big supporter of his church, and he used to go down to Tucson, and I think he still might do it, and cook at a convent down there, and he sees his life as an American. Again, we don't talk a lot about politics. What we talk about is the American dream. And then the Cuban family that I was so close with for so long, and I still am very close to them, but I was so close with them and watching their father, who was like a father figure to me. His name is Miguel, and he brought his wife and at the time his three daughters to America on a, on a, on a boat, on a fishing boat during the Mario boat lifts. They are Mariolitos. They are on that. You can find them in that Mariolito log. And – he changed the trajectory of his family. They all became citizens at the very first opportunity. They had a son that was born here, but their children now have children and they are grandparents. He's retired. He volunteers as a police aide. He put his wife through college. She spent a career still teaching Spanish in the public high school system in Southwest Florida. They own their home. They've watched their grandchildren be first generation Americans. I tell those stories because those are the immigration stories that Americans should be talking about right now. Not the border security stuff, we're gonna get to that in a minute, but if we're gonna talk immigration, I've got those stories of people that I love that are connected to me, people that I have admiration for and respect for. Um, and I love those stories. And we all should have them as Americans. We all should be proud of that, that there are still people in the world that long to come here and live the American dream. And they still see America as the shining city on the hill. It is still my belief that legal immigrants to this country will save it. They know what communism looks like at its infancy and what it grows into, how its unkept promises are what ruin a nation, whether it's socialism or it's communism. I believe they will be the ones that save this country. The other side of this is where we're talking on this issue is really about a border security issue. But we've got uh, hotels with the signage taken down. The government is hiring these non-governmental organizations to house illegal immigrants. The state of the city of New York has 200,000 migrants in the city of Denver, Colorado. They are laying off. I mean, really reducing hours to zero for city employees so that they can use the city's budget money to house migrants. Here in Arizona, we have a Democrat governor, and the reason why that's important is because she's in dis she's in more lockstep with the policies of this administration. But even she has uh, transported twenty six thousand migrants out of Arizona. Does she do it differently than Governor Ducey did? Yes. But my point is, is you are seeing more and more Democrats behaving like Republicans, not talking like Republicans necessarily in the in the tone of how they're displeased with what's happening. But they certainly are talking like Republicans. And on this issue, this is an American issue. All of those stories I told you about immigration, wouldn't you much rather have those be the stories that the world is telling about America? Now, there is no perfect solution. 
solution. There are people that have come here as immigrants that are bad people. There's no doubt about it. Um, But the issue where we know that there are good people around the world that are in bad situations that deserve an opportunity at the American dream. That's an immigration issue. That's where the immigration system needs to be fixed and revamped in this country. It should be easy for people to come here. Uh, you know, obviously the numbers, we have to control the numbers of people that come here at a time, but it should be based on merit. It shouldn't be based on some of the other things that are already there. But those are the stories that America should be focused on. As an American, I will tell you, that's an immigration system that I can be proud of. It's an immigration system America should be proud of. But instead, the border security issue of what's happening, the numbers of people that are coming here with false asylum claims abusing the asylum system, the number of people that are bringing illicit drugs into this country because we don't have the labor force to do more detection and better detection at our ports of entry. All of these things, the unaccompanied minors, If you didn't see, go and look up the video of Dr. Phil on The View. Dr. Phil schooled the people on The View about the kids coming here, that our taxpayer money is sending children into forced labor and prostitution, and we know it. There's over 100,000 unaccompanied minors that have entered this country that we cannot find. Now, that's not all the kids that have come here. That's the ones we cannot find. We don't know where they are. We don't know what their condition is. We don't know how they're being treated. We can't find them. That is a border security issue, and it's got to be fixed. So this visit tomorrow by the the president and the former president, um, is it going to be window dressing in politics? The, The thing is, we've got four years of Trump on the border to look at. Does the Trump uh, inhumane treatment of of people crossing the border, does it look as inhumane now? 53% of Americans, 53% now believe in building a border wall as opposed to 35% when he was president. Are they going to view his presidency and border policies differently now after what we've seen for the last three plus years? It's a great question. It is a great question. We've got to talk about the economy before we close it out. The best places in the country to open a business or start a business and why. We'll get to that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Right, an interesting story out of the Fox out of Fox Business, the best and worst states for business owners in 2024. No surprise, the top two best are Texas and Florida. And I don't understand, I really don't. Our political differences are one thing, but why wouldn't you be in favor of successful businesses wanting to be in your state? I mean, that is we we tax what we want less of, we subsidize what we want more of. Um, and this isn't even talking about subsidies. Uh, I talk about tax cuts. A tax cut is not the government giving you anything. It's them taking less from you. And that is a huge distinction, I think, between political ideologies. And when the state of Texas doesn't have a corporate income tax, when you see Florida doing the same thing, you have states that are saying to businesses, we are going to collect our taxes. We are going to do what's necessary to run the state. But what we're not going to do is we are not going to punish the job creators. And I think that's a big distinction that there are some that will talk and I, they are very, I appreciate their honesty that they just think sometimes you have enough money. 
Well, it's funny how the government never has said that. We have a government budget that's bigger and bigger and bigger every year. The government grew in 2023 much faster than it grew in 2022, and we're still running at deficits. The state of California and the huge amount of money that it takes from the job creators and the wealthy in that state, and yet there's still $72 billion in debt. So the idea that the, the mindset, and this is the, 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 what I truly, I don't understand about people that are opposite me in political thinking, is that you have no problem with the government's, the amount of money the government takes. You don't even look at it. You don't even look at the trillions of dollars in the budget of the federal government, nor do you look at the trillions of dollars in deficits that they've created by their wasteful spending and redundancy. Yet, you will look at somebody that, uh, especially in corporate America, you'll look at corporations and talk with them and look at them and say, that's too much money. That CEO shouldn't be making that much money. They take too much money. And it's a private entity. And so that to me is surprising. Um, when you look at uh, the Hollywood elite, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but the highest earners in Hollywood, you've got people that are making 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars for a movie as the lead actor or actress in a movie. And yet you've got people that are working and building the sets and, and, and the cameras, and they make very little. You've got extras that are being paid minimum, you know, whatever the minimum scale is for actors, that they're making the minimum. And no one is talking about the redistribution of wealth on the creation of a movie. It is the mindset that is anti-corporation, that's anti-business, and I don't understand it. Uh, the job creators should be welcomed. Here in Arizona, when we lowered, we decreased regulation by over 3000 regulations and we release and we lowered taxes for everyone we've watched business flourish here now california is in the bottom 3 for business startups that doesn't surprise anyone and you know this is about labor force and educated labor force and things of that nature is all a part of it but it is fascinating to me that the mindset of some when it comes to our economy is we don't even pay any attention to how much of the U.S. economy is taken up by the government. If the, if the middle class and the working class in this country looked at how much that they paid, forget the rich, forget what the rich pay. If you looked at what you pay in taxes, state income taxes, federal income taxes, sales taxes, fees, you know, when you've got to register your vehicle, things of that nature, in a year period, what you spend in taxes, you would be amazed. And then if we, if we look at how much money in total is taken out of the American economy in local, state, and federal taxes, the, the governments of around us are taking a huge portion of what we earn. Now, we've allowed that as voters, and I don't see that. I know it is a partisan political issue. I'm, I'm, I know it is, but it shouldn't be. The, the, the partisan political issue should be how that money is spent. Where the priorities are, the Democrats want social programs and things of that nature. Republicans want national defense. I get I get the differences politically. What I don't understand is how both sides have let our local, state and federal government get so out of control with the amount of money that we continue to give them when they have shown themselves to be inefficient. Again, there is no one that is a, more, a bigger national defense supporter than I am. But uh, the, the Department of Defense cannot cannot pass an audit. 
they cannot account, I think it's seven years in a row, they cannot account for the money that they've been given by the American people. And this is a department of the government that I fully believe should be fully funded, whatever they need. We as a country should be looking and how much of our tax dollars go to the government around us and then hold them accountable for how they spend it. That's just my belief. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow uh, beginning at just after 8 o'clock. If you're a social media user, at Broomhead KTAR is where you can find me personally on X. At Broomhead Show is the show page. It updates you on guests and the things we're doing on the show. And if you're an Instagram user, you can find me at Mike Broomhead. I'd love to keep in touch with you between shows. Again, we start the show just after 8. Join us again tomorrow. Until then, God bless.